Hey, I'm Gabriel Goldfeder. I'm a Jewish life consultant, a.k.a. rabbi. H.H. the Dalai Lama was known to encourage the scientific study of meditation. And it seems, I of course am no expert in Buddhism at all, but it seems that the Buddhism that he espoused was one that approached the human mind with a sort of scientific approach. There is a very clear mapping of mental experience and an ability to identify very specific elements that are at play, leading to particular states of mind, particular moods, and the like. Nor does the Dalai Lama, and again, I am certainly no expert in Buddhism, but I can read, and I like to read works of the Dalai Lama from time to time. Nor does the Dalai Lama necessarily privilege specifically Buddhist approaches to accomplishing the goals that he thinks are important for our mental state. Meaning, it is important that anger, for example, be dealt with, but it is not required that anger be dealt with through meditation. Meditation may well be an ideal or very useful tool through which to deal with anger, but it is certainly not the only one. And therefore, Buddhism, in a certain way, is less of a religion and more of a system of practices that are scientifically proven to accomplish the goals that they set out to accomplish. So the Dalai Lama said, in order to achieve and maintain peace of mind, we need to understand the workings of the mind and the whole system of emotions. Buddhism outlines 51 mental factors in six categories, five ever-functioning mental factors, five ascertaining ones, 11 constructive emotions, six root-disturbing emotions and attitudes, 20 auxiliary-disturbing emotions, and four changeable mental factors. And he goes on, on the basis of understanding these, we can learn to tackle destructive emotions as they arise, even under difficult circumstances. Peace of mind is within our reach. This sounds a lot less like a demand for religious adherence and a lot more like an invitation to use tools that have been developed over millennia to accomplish common sense goals of achieving certain states of mind. I was surprised to find a somewhat similar statement and approach within the Jewish tradition. We just don't tend to think of the Jewish tradition as espousing this sort of scientific approach, but it is there. And not surprisingly, it comes from the pen of Rav Cook. He calls for us to analyze the spiritual attributes that constitute holiness, seeing holiness here as not simply the function of divine grace, but seeing holiness as a state that can be achieved, and not only achieved, but apparently it can be analyzed. He says, We need to test it with a scientific approach, a scientific kind of testing. Similar to a chemical analysis. Feel free to jump up and down with me at this point as we celebrate the fact that Rev. Cook has been in the world and that he has brought so many refreshing new ways to look at and to approach our tradition, so many new angles from which to 
gain perspective on this ancient modern path. And here he gives us another. Let's look at holiness. Let's not think of holiness as a function only of grace, something beyond our control and random. Let's analyze holiness like we would analyze a chemical compound. Let's try to figure out what's in it. To know the details and the specifics of the elements that are in this compound called holiness. Yea, verily, let us do that. Let us wonder, what is in holiness? What is holiness? What is the experience of holiness like? What is in common among all people who have experienced or who continue to experience and convey this thing called holiness? What is the special sauce? What are the exact directives of the path that leads to holiness? And why? Why does it work? How will we know when we're there? Because once we have done the work of analyzing the compound called holiness, through this, we will be able to innovate abundantly. Maybe we can create new ways to reach holiness. Maybe we can develop ways to keep holiness around for as long as possible. Maybe, and I would say, hopefully, we can find ways to allow this thing called holiness to shed all of the unnecessary associations that go along with it, all of the superstitions and all of the unnecessary mystifications that prevent us from relating to holiness as it is constituent of the elements that comprise it. And once we've started to do that, says Rev. Cook, then then we can create new things from combinations within this compound. What else is possible? What else could we make of this? What else could we plug into this? Can we find the formula for holy music, holy poetry, holy art? Can we find the formula for holy war, holy peace, holy community, holy friendship, holy marriage? Can we identify and isolate and produce and reproduce some molecule of holiness that can be somehow injected into every situation to make business holy, to make eating holy, money? Can we make holy food? I wouldn't want to mess around with my grandmother's recipe for chicken soup, but I certainly noticed when it was explained to me that chicken soup probably contains the same compounds as penicillin. I'm not sure if it's true or not, but does the medicinal and magical healing power of chicken soup require chicken soup? Can it be accomplished with lentil soup plus that secret ingredient of holiness that we have distilled from the compound of holiness itself and found a way to inject into other soups? Rav Cook says that it is possible as a cake with a halot at it is possible to purify and to elevate old forms, as it were, old matters. We can take old forms 
and remove the unnecessary accoutrement and allow them to exist in their purest form, the good stuff, and then introduce it in other ways into other elements and other aspects of our lives. And just in case you thought that Rav Cook was speaking metaphorically when he was comparing holiness to chemistry, he says, Mamash Yes, actually, actually, factually, like the wisdom, the practical wisdom, which is applied to chemistry, that same practical wisdom should be applied to holiness. Frankly, I think there's a lot of people, probably people like myself from older generations who might be a little reluctant to see Jewish activity, Jewish gathering, Jewish prayer, Jewish performance of mitzvot, reduced or expressed in an idiom that implies more attention to its constituent parts isolated in a more scientific way. Some people might not be excited about that. Myself included, I have my prejudices, I have my limits, but I think it's happening already. And I think living in a world which seeks optimization, a world in which people are looking for ways to have direct efficient, optimal experiences without anything that feels unnecessary that might interfere. And it might be this very thing that allows Judaism to become accessible and relevant to a new generation of people who live in that world, a world of optimization, who want the best of what Judaism has to offer and don't want to have to carry around all that bathwater with the baby. <laughs>